I want to go back to something you said uh, an answer ago about um, in the first consent decree, at least in privacy cases, there, there is no opportunity for penalties. Um, I've heard this described as the first, you know, one free bite of the apple problem that com companies sort of know that um, the, their first running with the FTC might not be that bad. They're not going to face civil penalties unless they go through the legal process and then violate a consent decree. And, and you know, what I just heard you describe is a sort of eight-year-long process with Facebook entering into an agreement in 2012 and then uh, Facebook violating that agreement and then paying a penalty. Uh, is, is that a source of frustration for people at the Federal Trade Commission? And is that the kind of thing, when you talk about challenges the institution faces, is that the kind of thing you would describe as a big challenge? So there's, there's several parts to that. Um, so let me break it down. Not being able to get civil penalties for first-time violations is something that bipartisan commissions have urged Congress to change if they if they pass federal privacy legislation. That they do believe that being able to get civil penalties for first-time violations would have better deterrent effect. Um, on the other hand, I don't think the commission would say that there may be individual commissioners who have said in statements, not Commissioner Wilson, um, that the privacy program getting these initial orders that didn't have money were completely unsuccessful. Um, you know, a law professor at GW wrote an article saying that um, the FTC's, all of these consents largely that have injunctive relief only created like a common law of privacy and set standards to the industry on what they should be doing. So the FTC is very proud of its of its work in privacy and data security and believes that those injunctive only orders had a significant effect. They required companies to change practices. They required um, you know, investments in, in privacy programs, the hiring of these third party assessors. Um, and, and so we do believe that these orders do have some effect. Is there frustration that there are companies like Facebook who violate the orders? Of course. I mean, we want companies to be in compliance with our orders. Um, and it, if it's a challenge, it, that it's definitely a challenge with, with, with some with some companies. So the, the, you know, the commission has been banging the drum. We issued our first big privacy report in 2012. And in that report, we asked for privacy legislation and to give the FTC civil penalty authority for first time violations in 2012. And we've been doing it probably yearly since. <laughs> so Congress, <laughs> um, but the other thing that Congress you know, people get upset about and are frustrated about is that our orders, even injunctive wise, they don't go far enough. That there was a criticism of the, the the Facebook order that didn't change Facebook's core business. Well, as I explained to you before, we're bringing these cases under Section 5 of the FTC Act. This is a hundred year old statute that was not designed to address these kinds of practices. We have to show that the practices are either deceptive or unfair. 
And we, the relief we get has to be tied to those allegations. So when Congress passes a statute, like they did in, let's say, COPPA, they're setting a standard that may be different than Section 5, and, and then we, we can go under that legal framework. So using COPPA as an example, it requires notice and parental consent. And if a website didn't provide notice for a certain type of data collection and didn't get parental consent, it might be challenging if we only had, you know, Section 5 of the FTC Act, depending on what you're talking about, to show that consumers were injured from this practice. But we don't have to make that showing under COPPA because the law says websites have to do this. And so if they don't do it, we have a cause of action. So it, 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 it gives us um, a more efficient way to get at certain types of conduct when we have congressional authorization. I think COP is a great example of the kind of thing that, um, that changes the toolbox the FTC has. So um, if the FTC could wave its magic wand and, and fix this today, what, what other kinds of things might be included in that federal privacy law? So the FTC has always had four asks, right? They always say they want the civil penalty authority. They want jurisdiction over nonprofits and common carriers. What we find is that, you know, these organizations also engage in practices that are concerning and we should have jurisdiction over it, over those as well. Um, what they also want is Congress will pass a law, but it's not going to, it's not going to cover everything. And, and there are details that aren't going to be fleshed out. So what the FTC has asked for is the ability to do rulemaking to fill in. And, and, and COPPA was designed this way, um, where we had rulemaking authority to, for example, define what constitutes personal information under, under COPPA. And we had a certain type of rulemaking. I mean, this is a nerdy administrative point, but the FTC is unique among federal agencies in that in our consumer protection, we have a specialized type of rulemaking called Magnus and Moss, and it's very onerous. It has many layers and procedural steps. There's also another type of rulemaking that is just called notice and comment rulemaking or APA, Administrative Procedures Act. And Congress can say to do rulemaking under this statute, the FTC can do it through APA rulemaking, which they did in COPPA. And so the commission would want, would want them to do that in federal privacy legislation. And then I know that was, will, I'm sorry to oh, interrupt, please. but I think that I just want to dwell on that point for a moment. It, it, it's nerdy, but it's important, right? Um, technology changes constantly, but you might make a list of information that's private today, but then tomorrow, there's new technology. Now we have to add location data to what, what is privacy or, or whatnot. So adaptability is important. Uh, could, can you give me any kind of a, for instance, to explain to someone who's new to this, why is one rulemaking procedure so much harder than the other? So Magnus and Moss is, is more onerous um, because it, it requires um, the FTC to... Um, in addition to putting out a notice and getting comments, we have to hold hearings and we have to issue a findings report. It's just additional procedural steps. And each one of those, if you can imagine, could take months. 
right? Because you have a hearing and then you have to analyze the, the record of the hearing and then you have to issue these findings. And, and there's a, there's a particular um, way that the, the, there's an analysis that has to be in the rulemaking documents under Magnuson Moss that is not required in the notice and comment rulemaking. Notice and comment rulemaking, I will say, is probably not as speedy as as the industry would want it to be, <laughs> um, because we'll put we put something out for comment. Let's use your location example. Like let's say the definition of personal information didn't include your location, and so the FTC would put out a notice saying we want to amend the copper rule to include location. And then we request comments and you usually give companies at least 30 or 60 days. And then if we get hundreds of thousands of comments, that's a lot to review, which does happen in some rules. And then we have to prepare another notice that analyzes the comments. And what's interesting about this is if, if based on the comments, the commission decides to do something very different than what it initially proposed, then they, they would need to put out that new proposal for comment again. They couldn't mm. just announce it. So then you've got another couple of months that you've got, you got to do another round basically. So um, it's not as nimble, but I was recently um, involved in a panel discussion with some scholars at Duke and they were talking about COPPA and said that the, the, the fact that the FTC had rulemaking authority under COPPA to define personal information meant that um, it, they were able to change the rule. The FTC was able to change the rule at one point to say that um, your computer, um, and I'm blanking on the term, but you know the IP address of your website is, is something that, that is included if a company is collecting that and sharing that with others, which was not contemplated, you know, when the rule was first passed and that that was, that was an extremely meaningful change to the rule and very important. This, um, this person on this panel remarked that it was an example of why it's important for the FTC to have this rulemaking authority if, if there is federal privacy legislation and if the FTC is given enforcement powers under that or any that the agency, any agency needs to have it but we certainly hope that it will be the ftc yeah the the ip address example that's a great example i, I kind of remember that process now but um so instead of it taking <clears throat> excuse me instead of it taking maybe years uh notice and rulemaking can can take a few months and and it correct never takes a few months but it, in theory <laughs> it could I don't know of a situation where we've been able to do notice and comment rulemaking in a few months. I, I, I have not done the research on that, but I can't off the top of my head think of one. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the more efficient streamlined process. You're just... And that's more efficient, right? <laughs>